help balance the word that I'm going to preach this morning. And uh, I even chose that song, I Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. It's usually saying as an invitation, but I wanted you to hear those words and that humble prayer that's a part of that song in light of what we're going to preach on this morning. Uh, the title of the sermon is Worms and Fire. It's always a great subject, isn't it? Worms and Fire comes straight out of the text that we're about to preach from in Mark 9. It's repeated three times, so I wanted to emphasize why is it repeated three times, and, and let's talk about it. But the passage I'm about to read, if you've been reading along with us, our whole church, if you're visiting with us, and by the way, good to have Daniel Pope and friends, glad y'all are here this morning. But uh, if you've been reading along, our whole church has been reading in the book of Mark, and so all the devotions, I appreciate the staff, the devotion we've had, and so... This was one of our passages. I prayed about it. I, God, do I preach on this? And we're only two weeks away from Easter. And, but it is something that Jesus said. And it is in the Word of God. This is not one of those passages you probably print and put on the refrigerator. It's probably not one of those that you hang up in the mirror when you're getting ready in the morning. You'll know what I'm about to say if you hadn't already read it. But here it is in Mark 9, Worms and Fire. Mark the ninth chapter, beginning in verse 42. Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him or her if a millstone were hung around their neck and he be thrown into the sea. This is Jesus, the Son of God. What now? What, what did he say? If, if Whoever causes somebody to sin, the little one, stumble, better that a millstone were hung around their neck and be thrown into the sea and drowned? It's almost like the mafia in New York. Chains and blocks around somebody and throw them in the East River. Why is Jesus saying this? And yet he does. Verse 43, if that wasn't enough, then he gets real radical. And he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Notice it's T-H-E-I-R there, person. Their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, that would have been enough, but then he, then he goes on and says in verse 30, 45, if, if your foot causes you to sin, hey, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet than to be cast into hell into the fire that will never be quenched. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Then he repeats again where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And then he says, for everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourself. And have peace with one another. I'll make reference to the salt. I probably won't come back to it. 
Jesus more than once in the gospel says we're the salt of the earth and so apparently we can lose our saltiness we can lose our flavor for the kingdom most of us use salt and we want it to be salty I grilled some steaks last night some ribeyes put some butter on there and some salt and pepper and you want that salt to taste like salt you don't want it to lose its flavor Jesus says I don't want you to lose your flavor have salt in yourself We've been reading in Mark, most of you have been, Jesus has demonstrated a lot of power, a lot of compassion, beautiful compassion. He's many miracles. We just read miracle after miracle after miracle. The, the leper who came calling in, unclean, unclean, and, and Jesus cleansed him, made him a whole. Jesus did that. Then you remember the four that that couldn't get to Jesus, they couldn't get close enough many had been healed just by simply getting close to him and touching him and so his friends lowered the guy down into the roof remember that first thing Jesus said your sins are forgiven I'm sure the four looking through the roof thought really we did all that, we want him to be healed but oh did Jesus heal him he ended up healing him literally physically but also spiritually and Jesus said your sins are forgiven and taught that, that the son of, son of man had the power to forgive sins so all this has been going on, we've been reading all this, and then now we have Mark 9. We have Mark 9, and we're about two weeks away from celebrating Easter, and then Jesus just goes radical on us and gives a strong warning, strong warning about sin, this problem that we all have. I use the word warning. When I read Matthew Henry's commentary, he uses the word threaten. I've never thought about preaching that Jesus threatened us here. This is Matthew Henry's words. He said, Jesus threatens those that offend his little ones that willfully are the occasion of sin or trouble to. Now, little ones may refer to the child that Jesus was holding in chapter 9, verse 36. Just a few verses earlier, he was holding a child. It could refer to little ones. And perhaps also, sometimes in the Greek, it looks as if maybe he's talking about a new convert, a new believer who are spiritually immature or maybe weak. But theologically, if you step back and look at the Bible of the whole in our own lives, obviously Jesus wouldn't want us to help make anybody stumble, regardless of their age. So, so that just makes common sense that no, he doesn't want us hindering other people. He does not want you teaching people how to sin. He doesn't want you to lead people into sin or cause them to stumble. stumble. And, then, and then so radical, he says, even if you do that, oh, that a millstone be hung around your neck, you just be thrown into the sea. But Jesus, Jesus wants says he got our attention a millstone most of you know what a millstone is and this case it's referring to the large stone not the one that a that they might grind with food just a person could but this is one that it takes a donkey or an ox to to turn it and here he is saying take that and tie it around somebody's neck and drown them and the son of God is making this recommendation Jesus then makes kind of a shuttle shift. He's still talking about sin. And he's he moving from actions that may cause someone else to sin to those that might allow oneself to sin. Which would be all of us here. Including your pastors. Tithers. We're sinners. No one's ever preached this gospel that was sinless except one. And that was Jesus. 
So here I am preaching this, confessing to you. I, I have a sin problem. I was born into sin, according to the Bible. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have issues personally with sin. That's what Jesus said. So then Jesus uses some strong metaphors that we hope should not be used literally. But they are metaphors that should not be ignored. But, but did he mean for us to literally do that? Well, I hope not. Because I'd be preaching up here with no hands. I'd have eyes. I'd probably have both of them out by now. No feet. If I could even made it up here with four feet. I'd be preaching to maimed people. But he said it. He must want us to get something out of it. So we hope. We hope he didn't mean for us to follow through with this literally. But again, I say he literally said it, so he's got my attention. And he certainly is teaching us the seriousness of sin and the eternal. Now, not only hands and feet and eyes, but I even think, what about my tongue? What about my thoughts? Tyler prayed earlier about our thoughts, God, that they would be pleasing to you and I read to you out of James, the third chapter about the tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. No one can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. That's a strong word. All of this is, and I just let you wrestle with it wrestled with it for a couple of weeks and even wrestled whether or not I should preach it this morning. Lord, we got Easter in two weeks. But yet, this is what he taught. This is on his way to the cross. Tough. Tough read. Let me lighten the mode and tell you a joke. A little boy was trying to crank a lawnmower. He was yanking on that lawnmower. He was cranking and yanking, and he was letting some words fly. He was cussing that lawnmower till there was no tomorrow. And a preacher came up and said, whoa, 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 son, 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 son. Oh, don't be using those words. Stop that. Let me help you with that lawnmower. So the preacher got down there, and he worked on it a little bit, and he cranked and cranked. And y'all have done that before. I mean, when you work up a sweat and you're cranking, I've done it with a weed eater. Chainsaw. I grew up out in the farm, so we had chainsaws growing up. Same thing. It will not crank. And you're cranking on it. Preacher kept cranking. He couldn't get it. Finally, the boy said, look, you're going to have to cuss it to get it to crank. Preacher said, now, son, I put that out of my life. I don't even remember how to cuss. He said, keep pulling. It'll come back to you. The word translated hell is Gehenna. Jesus uses the Greek word Gehenna. The people standing there knew what he meant, that theologically the understanding of hell, but also a particular place. Gehenna from the Greek is translated from the Hebrew in the Old Testament, a couple of words, which speaks of the valley of Hymnon. 
this valley is spoke about in, in 2 Kings and Jeremiah. It's a deep valley just southwest of Jerusalem, a place at that time back in the Old Testament point when Jerusalem was taken over, 2 Kings, Jeremiah, it was where child sacrifices were made to the god Moloch. Literally happened in that place. Now in Jesus' day and time, by this time, it had become a garbage and sewage dump. People hearing him say, Gehenna. Their mind went to there. They knew in Jerusalem where that place was. The garbage and the sewage. And they knew that sometimes fires would be started there and they would just smolder and the stench and the worms and all the garbage and all the maggots. And so they've got a visual in their mind when Jesus begins to describe this. Gehenna. Place of death and worms and fire. Quote is quoted three times. It comes from the book of Isaiah. It's interesting that Isaiah is only 66 chapters long and it ends with this verse. What a way to end the book. Let me read to you the last two verses of Isaiah 66. Let me read to you verse 23 and then 24. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, that all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now here's verse 24. And they shall go forth and look. That is those who are going to come worship. They shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed, sinned against me, saith the Lord. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be and abhorrence to all flesh. Again, Isaiah, through the power of God's Spirit, chose to end the 66 chapters in a word of judgment. But what does that tell us? Well, Isaiah and Jesus both remind us that there's not going to be some type of universal amnesty at the end of the world. I wish the world would be easier. But see, cause and effect will still be enforced. So I think, again, it's why Jesus warns us and quotes from it three times from Isaiah. And oh, my Lord, we read it. We go, oh, my. Sin. Sin's got to be taken seriously. But also say it again. While we read this, while he says this to us, we still head to the cross. Don't lose sight of he knows you don't have a chance in heaven or hell unless he follows through his plan. So that's why Easter's such a big deal. That's why we celebrate that our God came so we don't have to die like this. We don't have to die in our sins. And so those who have refused to avail themselves of God's provision in Jesus Christ stand in the reality of judgment. We, we can't read that any other way. So we cannot ignore the passage of Scripture. But again, the good news, the good news is, is that Christ went to the cross. Again, quoting from Matthew Henry, Our Savior often pressed our duty upon us from the consideration of the torments of hell which we run ourselves into if we continue in sin. With what an emphasis of terror are those words repeated three times. The reflections and the reproaches of the sinner's own conscience are the worm that dieth not. 
which will cleave to the damned soul as the worms do to the dead body and prey upon it and never leave it until it is quite devoured. When I was picking out the songs today for the sermon, I happened to flip through and in your hymnal on page 346, we don't have the the verses, I mean the, the music to it, but we just have seven stanzas of something that Charles Wesley wrote. It's on page 346. It's titled, Sinners Turn, Why Do You Die? I'm going to read to you a couple of the stanzas, not all of them. You can read all of them. Sinners turn, why will you die? God, your maker, ask you why. God who did your being give made you himself that you might live. He, the faithful cause, demands, ask the work of his own hands. Why, you thankless creatures, why will you cross his love and die? Second verse ends with, why, you ransom sinners, why will you slight his grace and die? I'll read to you the last stanza. Can ye doubt if God is love? If to all his mercies move? Will you not his word receive? Will you not his oath believe? See the suffering God appears and Jesus weeps. Believe his tears. Mingled with his blood they cry. Why will you resolve to die? So Jesus, while he warns us here of the dangers of sin, he also provides through his blood the atonement that we don't have to die. Does Jesus take your sin and my sin seriously? Yes. He's warning us, but he's also heading to the cross to fulfill what God the Father had asked him to do. I want to close with a line from Ellsworth Callis. I quoted him recently. Dr. Callis is still alive. I heard him preach at Asbury, and he wrote a book, and I've quoted from it quite a bit since I've been here, and I, I just love the title as much as anything. The title of Dr. Callis's book is If Experience is Such a Good Teacher, Why Do I Keep Repeating the Course? Then in the book, there's 12 chapters. One of the chapters is titled this, Sin Can Be a Productive Course, But Don't Bother to Register. He closes out that chapter on sin, Dr. Callis does, and he says this, and I just amen it. The first step is to seek the forgiving grace of God in Christ. Have you sinned? First step is to receive the forgiving grace of God in Christ. This puts sin in its right perspective as an act that concerns God and therefore is one in which I can expect God to help. Having enlisted God's help, I have everything going for me. The New Testament encourages believers who felt themselves undone by sin, reminded them that the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. We rarely realize the extent of our potential under God. But if I am to learn from this teacher called sin, who dogs my steps through all my days and who wishes who wishes more to fail me than to teach me. I must constantly remind myself that even the smallest of sin is a peril because sin grows. And the teacher sin, the teacher sin is patient to await its fruition. And I must never excuse my sin. We even see that in Psalms 51, King David. Against you and you only have I sinned. It's interesting in that passage too that, that David says, Lord, help me to teach transgressors your ways. Sinners teaching other sinners not to sin. 
Callus goes on to say, and above all, I must never forget that with God's help, I can win. Somebody say amen. You don't have to die to see it. God didn't intend for us to be losers. The power and the personality with which we sin are the very gifts with which we can serve God most nobly. So I leave you with this. We're going to celebrate Palm Sunday and Holy Week chapter next and then Easter Sunday. Son of the living God is that he will redeem, he will forgive, he will restore, he will deliver us from our sin. Thank you, Lord God. Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for being serious with us, God. Thank you for not for not just mulligrubbing around, telling us the truth. Thank you, Lord. Now we know. We also know because of the cross of the cross we don't have to die in our sin so we praise you speak to us Lord if there's someone here who needs to say Lord I need your forgiveness oh God let them receive it today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen our closing hymn is Amazing Grace